cycling advocates and um, Howard is a lawyer and I don't know Jeffrey what what what's your official role a passionate a passionate advocate so I'd like to welcome them to the show today and um, I'm just gonna have them both introduce themselves and kind of tell us a little bit about how they got involved in cycling um, and then how they got involved in the LA cycling scene specifically so who wants to go first I'll go first this is uh, Howard good morning uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I am an attorney, uh, and my law firm is Gordon Edelstein Creepack. Our, our website, actually, we go by geklaw.com. And we're injury lawyers. Uh, we've been doing this for over 25 years. Uh, and bicycle law and representing bicyclists has become a very big part of our practice uh, over the last 10 years. Uh, and I've been riding bikes in Los Angeles since I grew up here. Um, back in the day when we, uh, I grew up in Culver City. Okay. And uh, can always remember riding around the neighborhood, uh, riding to school. Do you remember what your first bike was? You know, it was one of those uh, smaller little bikes that uh, I can't remember the name uh-huh. of. But eventually, I remember getting a Schwinn. That's the first one I really remember when I was about 10 or 12 years old. And, uh, you know, there was always a feeling of freedom, right. a love of the recreation. And uh, in those days, uh, it just was a way to meet up with my buddies, uh, go to the park, have fun, and uh, not be relying on my parents to, to get around. Right. Um, I think uh, Jeffrey and I actually go back now, what, about five years? Um, and we met on a case that I had, and it was a tragic case. It happened on Pacific Coast Highway. A young man was killed. Uh, he was riding uh, along Pacific Coast Highway, uh, obeying the laws, when suddenly he came upon an part of Pacific Coast Highway, not far from Pepperdine. Okay. And uh, there was construction going on. Uh, a, a private contractor was doing work on a building uh, on the north side of Pacific Coast Highway. And uh, K-rails, if you know what those are, those are those cement barriers. Right. And uh, he was forced to go into traffic. And suddenly he, along with another gentleman, found themselves uh, in that right-hand lane where vehicles are whipping along at probably about 60 miles an hour. Right. And uh, suddenly a a truck came along who was not paying attention, uh, hit our client and the other gentleman, and they were unfortunately killed. Um, And that case, I think, uh, started me really on a, a road to the advocacy that I'm now involved in on a regular basis. And was that, I mean, was that one of the first bicycle injury cases that you had done or just kind of one of the, one that sort of just made you realize kind of that you were needed in the cycling community? Yeah, I think it was more the latter. Okay. That although I'd been involved in many bicycle cases up until that time, this was the one that really got to me. Mm-hmm. 
because uh, this was a, a young man who worked hard. He actually worked for a, a bank here in Los Angeles. He was somebody that was riding to prepare uh, and train for a charity ride. Uh, he was a guy who was very much involved in a number of charities in the Los Angeles area. Uh, he was somebody that took great pride in his uh, bicycling skills mm -hmm. and, and uh, safety. He taught others how to ride safely. Mm -hmm. And so here was somebody who was a classic example of a, a great citizen of Los Angeles who was doing all the right things mm -hmm. and, and tragically his life came to an end much, much too soon. Right. And I, I think that just affected me in a way where I said, hey, it's more than just representing people who have been injured. This is about being proactive and advocating for, for bicyclists all over Los Angeles and trying to make this a, a bicycling city that's not only more friendly but safer for all cyclists. Definitely. Definitely. All right. So, Jeffrey, let's go back in time before... Um, you met Howard, and uh, are you from Los Angeles? Where did you start biking? I'm one of those weirdos. Uh -huh. I'm from Los Angeles, and as a matter of fact, my, my family's been here since 1903. Wow. Um, seven, seven years, by the way, historically, with uh -huh. the heyday, when that 1895 was the big year for cycling in the United States, and the biggest obstacle on the roads in Los Angeles in 1903 was horse manure. <laughs> <laughs> So everybody was, you know, just trying to, you know, avoid, avoid that, that big obstacle, which I'm sure it wasn't the obstacle. So going back for me, um, I've always loved cycling, and for me, I don't know, it's a real, if I can use the word, it's a spiritual journey for me. Mm -hmm. It's very zen. Howard and I talk about this, too. It's, uh, my first bike was a Murray. Okay. It's a little two-tone red and white. And I can literally remember the day that my grandpa, who I thought was holding the seats, and he wasn't, and it was a turning point in my life. And it was, as Howard cited, freedom. It was liberation. It, it, it's just such a, And I think that's what a lot of us are doing right now. We're really living that moment of liberation when we get on a bike from all kinds of things. And, 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 and also in terms of just practical reasons. Um, and so for me, cycling is a way of life, and I think part of this pedaling revolution that's happening all over the country right now, people are re-engaging with that for all very practical reasons mm -hmm. we talk about beyond just freedom themselves. <laughs> yeah. And so where do you guys bike now? I mean, what's do you use it as a mode of transportation? Are you using it uh, exercise? Are you using it purely as like a advocacy tool, um, you bike ride to be political? Well, I, I, if I can talk to that a little bit, this is Howard. Um, I use it in many ways. Uh, I often commute on my bike, not so much during the week anymore, I have to admit, because then I get all sweaty and uh, <laughs> it, it, it's tough to go practice law and put on my suit and is, do that whole is. thing. Uh, but frequently on Saturdays, I'll go into the office and I ride, and uh, usually it's about an eight, ten mile ride for me uh, okay. from my home to work. And uh, I'll get up early, usually get on Sixth Street, 
ride uh, west on six, uh, excuse me, east on Sixth Street, and go to my office, which is on Wilshire Boulevard near Western and Normandy, um, and then ride home. Usually, I ride home on Wilshire because uh, it tends to be safer a little bit later in the day mm -hmm. than than Sixth Street. Uh, Although the road there is full of potholes. <laughs> I was going to say, it used and to be. Uh, it needs a lot of work. Yeah. Um, but then also I do mountain biking, and uh, which I love to do because you get away from the cars and get back up in the hills and in the Santa Monica Mountains, uh, as well as road biking, uh, which I do frequently with Jeffrey, uh, both early morning. We'll get up at 5 in the morning, right. try to get out by 6 if not before, and usually home by 7.30 or 8, and get in a great ride. And before the, the motorists uh, right. and all those motor vehicles hit the road, um, what's our favorite ride? Well, we have so many favorite rides. You know, I can tell you recently what we really enjoy doing is rather than go towards the ocean or San Vicente or down to the South Bay is to go into the Hollywood area and uh, make our way up into the hills onto Mulholland um, and then explore different areas up there along Mulholland, get over to Griffith Park. Definitely. And, you know, ride through Griffith Park and then often uh, come back through the downtown area of Los Angeles. Um, and most recently, we've been getting on 4th Street a lot, which everyone should know now has Sharrows. Right, right. And it is fantastic. It's wonderful. It's a great you know, piece. It's, a, it's an infrastructural jump. Um, but to, to, to hitch on to what Howard is saying, um, we've been, we, we, we've, we've been riding these road bikes for a long time. And the, the other element, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, is we, we're getting the touring as well but also short touring through different communities of Los Angeles. And one thing that at some point we'll talk about here is about what a remarkable community, community building tool a bicycle is. The kinds of people we're meeting, how it builds bridges among all different kinds of cultures. You know, we ride through Chinatown, we ride to Highland Park, right over to, you know, Flying Pigeon. We meet all kinds, you know, Mount Washington. Boyle Heights. Boyle Heights. Okay, sure. You know, through all these this different cultural, social, and physical landscape, you know, in, in discovering Los Angeles and just loving it, just loving it. Um, can I go back to a thing that Howard was talking about when, when we met about this? Because really it was the birthing of um, really turning a corner for me. Um, this particular accident that Howard was talking about, um, this individual who was killed uh, and, and somebody who was also on the highway at the time. He, in particular, was a member of our bicycling club over on the west side. And as Howard said, he was training himself for a, a community event of give back for the Arthritis Foundation. And for a long week's ride, if I, if I recall correctly, Howard. It right, was, I think it was a 500-mile ride from right. Northern California right. down to Southern California. Well, well, the thing, Molly, is that, you know, the very week before, I, I had been on the very route where this 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 person was killed, and I recalled it was it was a week to the day, the preceding Saturday. Um, my thinking to myself as I crossed this point, my God, these K rails are placed in such a position that somebody's going to get taken out here because it shoves you right into the high speed of traffic. And even though I had a background in public policy. I knew very little about laws, but I knew that there was supposed to be some form of 
by policy within Caltrans and other organizations, bicycle accommodation built into the law because bikes do belong and were enabled by the law. This is one of the big problems we have in Los Angeles. Many people don't understand that bikes actually are entitled legally to the use of the road. Right. We are the traffic, you know. We're not counter to it. Hello. And so I thought, my gosh, what kind of accommodation is this? When I got a phone call through a mutual friend that we have of what had happened, I remember I was at a CVS drugstore, and he said, there's been a horrible accident. And it's been at that point where we were riding, and we think that a club member was involved. I just, I went stone cold white. And I became very desperate because immediately what flashed through my mind as I'm standing there in this drugstore is all the stories that I had heard, but they were like far away. Now suddenly it was brought home that bicyclists had been hit. And by the way, at that time it was also discussed that they think it was a hit and run at that point. And I just, oh God, we got to do something. And I thought, what can we do? And so all I knew was to, because my background was in legislation, to call a local legislator. And at that time... um, called Senator Sheila Kuehl's office, okay, who represented that area, and got a deputy on the phone, Laurie Newman, and it was the beginning of what blossomed into a meaningful relationship that helped to cause really the next step in evolving public policy for, um, for our area. And she created a whole task force on PCH dealing specifically with bicycling. Um, and it was also the victim's sister, who said, you know, I think you ought to call this guy Howard Kripak. Um, and Howard and I really hit it off because we're also big thinkers, not just in the microcosmic, this isn't an isolated incident of an accident, but there are patterns here, and we really need to do something. We both talked about this. Something really needs to be done. And how do we apply our differing skills, his as a lawyer and an advocate, and mine as, as a background, you know, community advocacy and, and, and legislation. How do we do this in a way to really protect people on the road so that justice is served? And do you think, and do you think the two different, actually this might be um, do you think the two different um, aspects, kind of like this, like legal advocacy and then the, the legislative advocacy, do you think that those two things together will... Is that, is that where it is? Is that kind of in the conjunction of those two things where the change will take place? Yeah, I really believe that. I think what Jeffrey and I realized when we came together on this case and met each other and became very much involved uh, with our respective uh, perspectives on advocacy was that certain things can be done from the point of advocating to the public, advocating to our community leaders, advocating to politicians. Uh, And that's a long-term process, which takes a lot of work. And on the other end of the spectrum, advocating from a legal standpoint actually takes place a little bit faster, even though many people have this impression that it can take years, which it can. Uh, But in the big picture of things, you can actually get things done in terms of advocating a legal case a little faster than you can advocating for public opinion in the court of public opinion. and But when I came together with Jeffrey, I said, you know, one of the problems when I represent bicyclists is that we're not usually on a level playing field. 
the reality is, is when a police officer comes to the location of a bicycle accident, um, I know they're trying to do their job, but the perspective they often take is that the bicyclist is at fault. The bicyclist did something wrong. Uh, and so they're coming from that perspective, and often we're at a disadvantage right away as a bicyclist when there's an accident. And number two, when you finally get this case into court, if that's what it takes, uh, and you're advocating your position often in front of a jury uh, who are members of the public, uh, they have usually that same perspective because most people aren't out there riding a bicycle. They're in a motor vehicle. And their mentality is often, we have the right to the road as a motorist, and you as bicyclists don't. And uh, you're, um, you're not th there. You shouldn't be there. And they often want to get you off that road quickly. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes uh, it's in the way of screaming at you, or even at times we know using your vehicle in a way that it shouldn't be used and was never meant to be used. Um, and so I said to Jeffrey, how do we change this? How do we walk into a courtroom and right away not be hit with members of the jury who are against us? Um, how do we convince them that we do, uh, in fact, have a right to the road, a right to share the road, uh, and uh, that the same laws that apply to motorists apply to us? And those laws are there not only to protect motorists, but to protect bicyclists. And that's when I realized that I had to do more than just be an advocate and just be a lawyer who was working as hard as I could on my case and doing the best job I could in a courtroom. Um, and that's where I think the, we teamed up to try and do it from both sides, uh, both the advocacy as well as the legal side. Molly, there's, there's a reality here which um, there are term limits on elected officials. Okay, so the good news is if somebody's a rascal, they're out. Right. The bad news is if you really have somebody, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll invoke it like a, like a Sheila Kuehl, she was termed out. Okay, so part of what is this movement and this revolution, you know, needs consistency and somebody who has a sense of history. Somebody who's new doesn't have a sense of history to the legislation to, to, to uh, on that end of it, where somebody like Howard plays a really important role. He's here to hang around. That role is here, so there's a sense of history that he can draw on to give what's happening in terms of policy a context and, and can cite experience that people have had over the years rather than having to rebrief a newly elected official um, uh, you know, like, who, who looks at you with puzzled eyes with empathy, perhaps, but really? What? Do tell. So you don't have to start the game all over again. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so that's where this becomes a very crucial role. And at the same time, one thing that I greatly value about Howard's role is that through um, litigation, it kind of becomes a watchdog on the public policy thing. I mean, let's face it, when you're talking about a major lawsuit against an agency, an agency is really worried about its reputation and, and what it has done or not done to the law. And when they fall short, a rule such as this brings them to the table and says, wait a minute here, you weren't holding even to your own rules. And what about that? So it's, it's, an, important, it's an important function where they need to be wedded. 
I think this, uh, kind of pick up at Jeffrey on what you just said a little bit, people out there, you got to participate in bicycling. It's a great sport. It, for recreation and to keep in shape and to be healthful, get out there, and also for commuting. You know, let's commute. Let's get people off the street in terms of cars. Let's get more pedestrians, more people bicycling. It's going to help our environment. Uh, it's going to put you in touch with everyone, and it's going to contribute to our communities, and it's going to make Los Angeles a much better place to live. And we're going to need to do that. We're going to need to do that because otherwise we're not going to keep up with the future here. And it's happening in all great cities throughout the United States. Uh, so get out there and participate. Number two, we got to educate. Okay, and I think that's twofold. We have to educate the motorists out there, uh, our friends and relatives, as to this peddling revolution that's going on, as, as Jeff Mapes has, has so eloquently written about and talked about. Uh, let's let our friends and neighbors know that we have a right to be out there, uh, that the streets are for us as well as the motorists, and that there's, a, th there's positives here and we should all jump on that bandwagon. But also, we have responsibility in this regard. We gotta know the laws, okay? We gotta know what rights we have and what responsibilities we have because only then do we have the power. And if we're gonna go out there and not follow the laws, you know, then we only have ourselves to blame because we're not gonna be doing the job we need to do to get across to our fellow citizens and show them that we're, we're going to abide by the laws and just as the laws protect us, you know, we have to be true to them. The other thing is for people to get out there and advocate. Okay? We've got to advocate with our community leaders. We've got to advocate with our politicians, whether it be city councilmen, board of supervisors, uh, the mayor and people who sit in the legislature up in California. We have to bring home to them how important it is to educate the public, protect bicyclists, make it safer, and uh, build that infrastructure that's gonna help do that. Uh, this is Nick, I've been, I've been silent here in the corner here. But uh, what, what, I have a question, what uh, are you working on now and, and what kinds of things should people call you about if, okay. if they need a lawyer? Well, if anybody has any questions about legal issues as they apply to bicyclists, give me a call. Uh, I want to be part of and am part of that process of educating people. Uh, I want to keep people out there as safe as possible. Uh, I want you to know what the laws are, what your rights are, and to act accordingly. Um, the second part of that, if God forbid you get hurt, if... Uh, whether it be by a motorist who runs into you or backs into you or turns into you and, and you're injured, give me a call. Uh, not only do I, wanna, do I wanna help you recover from your injuries and get reasonable compensation for, for your loss of earnings, for your medical bills and, and uh, any pain, suffering. In addition to that, uh, I wanna help you get back on your bike and be able to be someone who enjoys that. Uh, you can reach us either through our website, geklaw.com, or bicyclingjustice.com, or call us at 213-739-7000. Uh, in addition to that, remember this. 
that, and Jeffrey hit on it, is that uh, our government officials, whether it be Caltrans or Department of Transportation or the local um, agencies involved in, in, in road work, they have to take bicyclists into consideration when they do work on our roads. And when they're doing work, they have to properly sign the area, properly warn, cordon it off, do what's ever ne necessary to prevent bicyclists uh, from riding into a dangerous condition. And the second part of that is any changes that are made on the road, you have to take bicyclists into consideration. Um, the other part of that is advocacy. I want to continue to advocate. Uh, I'm getting much more involved with the LA County Bicycle Coalition because I think they're doing great work. Uh, we're trying to partner to uh, work with the whole community in terms of teaching the law, teaching uh, bicycle skills, and, uh, and practical application of those skills when people are riding. And with the LA County Bicycle Coalitions, we're, we're hoping to set up uh, locations where members of the public can come uh, who want to learn more about how to be safe riders and uh, hopefully we can also give them practical skills and they can overcome the fears that a lot of people do have about getting out there and riding on the streets. Yeah, so I mean, so that definitely speaks to kind of the education on the side of the cyclists, which I think is really important. And um, as a volunteer at the Bike Kitchen, one of the kind of the main things that I do when I, when I set someone up with a bicycle is, is talk to them about where they're riding, what good routes are, what kind of how to, how to slowly incorporate yourself into the streets of Los Angeles. You know, you start um, often on the, the, you know, the bike paths where there's not going to be cars, and then you slowly can start moving on to streets like Sunset where there's a bike lane the whole way, and then slowly move on to streets like Fountain where there's now Sharrows but not a bike lane, and, and sort of... Um, or even learn how to take side streets so that you're not even with other cars. So, um, and a resource that um, that I use um, often, and it's not perfect, but it, it's helpful, is uh, Metro produces a bicycle um, routes map. And looking at it, you can see kind of where the challenges of Los Angeles. Most of those routes do not connect, and there's huge gaps in certain areas of the city, such as like Beverly Hills, where you have to like create your own. Um, route because there is no there are no bike paths bike lanes um, or, or bike routes um, but then the other side of it that I think I always feel more challenged by is the education of everyone else who's not on a bike um, one of the things that uh, that uh, drives some of my friends mad is that when I ride on sunset there is a bike lane but I do not ride in the bike lane I ride as far left as I can because there are car doors that I am terrified of. And just last night I went to the movies and, and I was riding back on sunset and, uh, and I mean, I'm, I'm in, I'm more in the road than I am in the bike lane. And, and I know that legally I'm allowed to do that. It's my safety. I can, I can take a lane if I need to, even if there's a bike route or a bike lane, excuse me. But how do we, how can we educate not just other cyclists about the dangers of bike lanes, but drivers? Um, that's what I'm most, I guess, passionate about wanting to be able to do, and I don't know the best approach for that. I think that's a great question. Um, I probably get more calls from people that have been doored uh, 
and most of the time they've been doored while riding in a bike lane. Uh, unfortunately, it gives us a false sense of security when we're riding in the bike lane. It's kind of like, okay, this is safe, uh, this is cool, I'm, I'm good here. Um, and maybe we're not as attentive as we should be or usually are uh, when we're in another area. Uh, but the fact is, is that bike lanes may not be the best um, type of uh, uh, best type of thing that the city is putting together for us in terms of riding, because people open their door and those bike lanes aren't wide enough, and you still get hit by them. Uh, and like you said, you have to ride very far to the left on those bike lanes. Um, and Jeffrey and I have talked about this, and I think he can pick up on it. That's why Sharrows are a great alternative and in many ways are safer than bike lanes. And, and Jeffrey, haven't you been working on that from a policy standpoint? Absolutely. Um, there are – it, Molly, what, what you describe is one of, one of the real pet peeves, and boy, are you not alone in that. Because in a sense, I mean – Inf that's infrastructure we're talking about here, bicycle lanes, paths, routes. Okay, so that's, that's what we mean by physical infrastructure. And bicycle lanes in certain areas will work. Now, one area, just an opinion where it may work, could be along Santa Monica in West L.A., Century City, yeah. right, where you have gridlock, right? But part – and no parked cars. But what has been found nationally is that where you create bicycle lanes – People other than cyclists think, well, that's your only zone. You don't belong anywhere else. So it creates a mentality that's collective that necessarily is not so and legally is not so in California. And in, in some cases where it's, it's absolutely in your safety, you've got to get out of that zone. And it really is because they don't account for, for doors. By the way, there's a phrase in transportation. It's called danger by design. And in some cases, these bike lanes where you have parked cars on the right, okay, in some jurisdictions, and the, and the bike lanes just to the left of the, of, the, of the driver's door, there's a design there that creates death, potentially death. And in some cities, they do not, because they have the proper infrastructures, they don't even have parked cars on, they won't put in a bike lane uh, unless it is next to the curb, okay? But... The thing about Sharrows that I really, really love, and this ties in with another psychological element of drivers, the days of signs of share the road, which are really great, and nationally they did surveys and found share the road. They, they went to drivers and cyclists and said, what does that mean? Well, share the road, drivers would say, is bicyclists are supposed to share the road. Cyclists would say, well, it's drivers are supposed It wasn't the we thing, right? It was the other character. So the thing about these sharrows is that it does an imprint that says bikes belong and that it basically can be in the lane, but it's not a line specifically. Now, the other thing that is really, really important, and it goes to a point that Howard was originally talking about. I've been to Portland, just returned from New York City. The more people who take to a road and the longer period of time that they do it, you get more bicycles on the road, you create an expectation, and traffic patterns and behaviors begin to change. Let me say that another way, and then I'll, I'll wrap it up. One of the leading causes, studies have been done, of accidents involving bicyclists, drivers will say, well, gee, I didn't expect a bicycle on the road. 
Well, in those areas where you have lots of bicycles on the road, it creates an expectation. Traffic slows. I just got back from New York City. I saw driver accommodation that I've never seen in L.A. Because there's an understanding, because you've got to be among. So it's this cultural phenomena that there will be attunement aside or from laws that just how to, how to get along on the road. And it's really a thing where bicycles are seen as traffic rather than apart from it. It creates that kind of framing that we've got to work toward. I'm just, I, I had a question from before, but I also think it's, it's good what you're talking about. But um, I, when you, somebody comes in because they've been doored, What's the outcome usually in a in a case? What what are they seeking and what are they? What happens? Well, I think the best way to talk about a case that just came in recently: a young lady was was riding in a bike lane uh, next to parked cars. Um, she was probably in about the middle of the bike lane, and suddenly the car door swings open. Uh, the automobile operator wasn't looking, threw the door open. And boom, there was the bicyclist. She hit the door. Uh, we think probably hit her mouth on the top of the door and flew over and landed on the, the concrete or the, the asphalt. Uh, she suffered a lot of bruising. She lost three teeth. Uh, she uh, suffered a, a, a big cut on her chin and needed about 12, 15 stitches. Um, so she came to see me and and to see if I could help. In that situation, uh, I think that's a good case. Uh, a driver uh, clearly has an obligation to watch and look over their shoulder before they ever open that door to make sure that whether it be a motor vehicle, a pedestrian, or a bicycle uh, is not coming up uh, there on their left-hand side as they open the door. Um, We'd like to do everything we can to avoid that. And, you know, Sheryl's is one way. Put bicyclists uh, on the roadway where they can be seen. Nick, I just wanted to say the other thing, the obligation there, and San Francisco PD is being literally trained in this to cite drivers who open doors because it's a violation of the code that you're obstructing oncoming traffic. So it's, it's, it's this obligation is, is already on the books. Drivers just aren't the DMV isn't asking those kinds of questions to pass the test. Yeah. I just uh, came back from Amsterdam. And speaking of, speaking of, you know, what happens when you get more uh, bikes on the road, no one has a helmet in Amsterdam, you know, because, I mean, just for the reason that there's so many riders that, <clears throat> that, uh, that it's safer. It's pretty well, that, amazing. That, that's interesting. You know, I, I just read about that, that in Amsterdam, perhaps the majority do not wear helmets. And, and because there's so many riders out there and it, it's just become a way of life. Um, but I have to tell you, one of my pet peeves is wear a helmet. It's here in Los Angeles, yeah, you have to. Uh, we are out there with uh, automobiles that are, you know, are, are, are trucks. Uh, you know, we're talking 3,000, 5,000 pounds and more. Um, I, unfortunately, over the years have seen too many people uh, who have been bicycling without a helmet and hit their head, and often that's not pretty. Uh, it may, for some people, not be cool to wear a helmet, 
but let me tell you, to suffer a head injury and perhaps brain damage uh, and lose some of your faculties uh, and your mental abilities, that's what's not cool. And there's nothing more important than your brain. So please, uh, everyone out there, wear your helmet. Uh, yes, the law is that if you're under 18 and under, you have to wear a, a helmet. Over 18, you don't. Uh, but we adults should set an example. It's important for us to wear a helmet, and that's just part of safety. And you know, we need to do that. Just a little, a little uh, story of a little story of sorts. Uh, Howard and I have a friend who's a neurologist at UCLA. What, and he's seasoned. He's been around a long time and, again, is one of these guys who can cite the history. And he says in the early days of his practice, cyclists who had cracked up come in. And to give you real perspective on this, um, the skull's like about a, a china saucer, a thin one, and the brain has a consistency of, like, custard. This is the reality, Nick. This is the reality. You fall off, and I, I even have a friend who was brain damaged by falling off the bike moving at two miles an hour. It's simply because of the distance sitting on a road bike, uh, you're up, and the bike flipped on him, and his skull was the first to take the impact. And he was affected by this. But anyway, this friend of ours who's a neurologist will tell you that by the advent of the helmet and wearing it, that when bicycle accidents now come in, he says it's just done a flip of sorts, that the neurog neurological damage is, is, is transformed. It's not nearly what it was, and they have to call in a face expert, where it used to be they have to call in a face person and then a neurologist. And, of course, you know brain damage is brain damage, and, you know, it's, it's very serious stuff, and I'm really big on that for the protection of people. It's what could have been disaster is just averted by wearing a helmet. Um, that head, that noggin of ours, it, it, it's, it can be hard-headed in terms of thinking, but it's very soft-headed in terms of real impact. So, wow, that's actually um, some scary thoughts. But uh, that's, and that's why I guess we got to work to make the conditions safer. How, how much better, how much more improved do you think that uh, things are going to get if we keep working at it? Let's actually let's actually back up. Like, what has changed in the last five years, and then maybe we can think about what will change. I mean, since you've had that case um, on PCH, um, can you talk a little bit about you know what happened? Um, I don't know if you want to speak to the outcome of that specific trial, or just kind of like what happened um, since then. Um, what kind of I'm I'm new to Los Angeles. This is I'm I'm about I'm coming up on two years here, but. Um, I don't know what it was like before, so where have we come in the last five years, and then kind of where are we going? It's a slow process, and it's easy to get frustrated. Uh, and, you know, you got to take steps, one step at a time, one foot in front of the other, and that's the way it is. Sometimes even there's a step backwards. Um, using that case as an example, um, we were successful on that case. Uh, we were able to prove uh, that uh, people had made mistakes. And we only hope that the government entities involved in that case and the private entities involved in that case learned from those mistakes and 
don't repeat them. And in this situation is don't set up a situation where you're forcing bicyclists into traffic that's going 60 miles an hour. Uh, don't expect motorists always to be so attentive or so aware that they can react quickly to, to bicyclists. Um, let's get changes going from those government entities. And I think they listen. I think they try. But the facts are these are bureaucracies that are slow to move. Uh, and that's why we have to come at them from two directions, the legal side and the advocacy side. Uh, what's going to help that? More and more people riding. You know, bicycle riding is great. It's In wonderful. the last five years, do you think that that's happened? Absolutely. Explosion. It, I, you know, I really do believe yeah. that there's been an explosion. There is more bicyclists out there. Um, there are more people, whether it be critical mass people who are getting out there and riding, whether it be bicycle clubs where it's a little more organized perhaps. Uh, I, I think the, the racing and competitive part of bicycling has increased, whether it be because of the Tour de France, the Tour de California. I, I just think people are more aware of that. I think more people are commuting in this environment. It, it's cost effective. Um, you know, why drive a car, you know, if you can get there? perhaps almost as quick and, and, and sometimes faster and even for less money. Uh, just a personal anecdote, I was going downtown just the other night to the, uh, uh, you know, it was still light out. It was about 5.30 going down to the City of Lights Dinner, which is a, a, a great part of the L.A. County Bicycle Coalition. They're helping uh, particularly Hispanic members of our community who commute a lot on bicycles and working with them to make it more safe for them and to get them the right equipment to, to help them be safe, including helmets. And it took me from about the 405 freeway in the Westwood area to get to Spring Street downtown about an hour and 15 or 20 minutes at, you know, 5 to 6 o'clock in the evening. And I kept thinking to myself, I would have been better served being on my bicycle. Um, Absolutely, absolutely. Um, there's, a, there's a thing here that I think is really important in what Howard's saying, get more people on the bikes. Um, a couple of years ago, I was a member of a particular uh, body, a bicycle advisory committee that was put on by Caltrans. And these two characters come walking in, and they were the speakers for the day. And they, they were community planners. And... A city, in other words, a city would call them in and say, look, we want to redesign maybe some of the streets. We want to redesign parking. We want to create, you know, hubs for people to gather, like little villages, whatever. What these guys did is they said the first, their first tool was a lawn chair. A lawn chair. What we do is we sit on the corners and we count the number of bicycles that go by. Well, why? Because they said that they get an assessment of the city, the jurisdiction, the city. The more people who are on the bicycles the safer people feel in that city. The more that there are bicycles, the more there's a sense of connection and that feel of community. The fewer the bicycles, there's a sense possibly of fear. There's more isolation because a bicycle is a real mix-it-up social tool as well for community. So what they call the bicycle was the canary of community. It's the real indicator of the quality and the character of the community that you're in. And that just really hit hard for me. And that's, you know, to pick up on your point, Howard, of everybody, as many people getting out there, 
for all these reasons. And I'm just thrilled in the last five years. I'm seeing people out there that I've never seen before taking to all kinds of bikes. I mean, even what we call beater bikes, dragging it out of the garage, taking to the streets, cranking and getting those wheels rolling. I love it. <laughs> well, I think it's part of the revolution, so to speak. And, you know, the, the people out there now who are trying to uh, move our agenda, you might say, forward, uh, you know, maybe we're the ones that uh, have been doing bicycling for more years or uh, perhaps have a greater passion or love for it. But uh, we need to talk to others about it. We need to get others involved. Uh, we need to help them to learn how to ride safely, uh, to learn good bike practices and safe riding practices and teach them how to change a flat tire and how to keep their bike in good shape. Um, that's our responsibility. Those of us that are out there and want to see more bicycles and want to see this as uh, uh, a more consistent and, and, and uh, way of life for, for everyone in Los Angeles. So what are some bike laws that people should know besides the helmet for people under 18? Yeah, that's, those are good questions, and I brought some of my list here today. Uh, first, understand, bicyclists have all the rights and responsibilities as motor vehicle operators, okay? But remember, if you're going to take advantage of those rules and be protected by them, then you got to follow them, number one. Number two, people ask me this, is it okay for me to, to drink or even be under the influence of... Uh, uh, medication uh, when you're riding a bicycle? The answer is no. Um, although the laws are a little different in terms of what the repercussions are or what the penalties are, don't ride your bike if you're drinking. Um, stay off. What else? Uh, equipment. This is important to know. Uh, we know there's a lot of fixies, whether the messengers around town or others that enjoy it. Hey, those are great bikes. Ride your fixies. But actually, the law provides you have to have at least one brake on the bike, okay? Uh, no, it's as long as you can execute a wheel skid uh, on dry, level, clean pavement, it's okay. Uh, your handlebars can never be higher than your shoulders, okay? Um, your bike must be small enough so that when you do stop, you can put a foot down and, and support yourself and, and be able to, uh, you know, hold that, uh, whether it be at a stop sign or a light. Um, at night, this is really important. We have more and more computers and your uh, commuters, excuse me, and you're out there at night. Uh, you have to have a white headlight. It's required. Um, and it must either be attached to the rider or the bike. Okay, and it must be visible from the front. And then in the back, you have to have a red reflector. Okay, so it's a, a light in front and a reflector in back. Right, and it even goes so, so far as to say your pedals should have reflectors on them also. Really? Yeah. Well, what about clipless? Well, that's an interesting <laughs> question. Uh, you know, the other thing would be to, to use shoes that have that some have, type of reflector. I guess that's true. Yeah, and yeah. If it, it doesn't come with the shoes, then put something on. Okay, that's good uh, to know. I didn't know that. Yeah. And I have clipless. Uh, the uh, LADOT, the L.A. Department of Transportation, has just put out a, a little reflector that you can actually uh, just fit around your ankle. Okay. 
you know, or, or your hand. So, you know, use those. Put them on. Um, you really should have uh, something on the side also so you can be seen from the side, whether it be a white, yellow, or red reflector. Something that's going to make you be seen. That is so important. Mm -hmm. And don't wear black. Don't right. wear black on your bike. Please, you know, wear right. Wear something with reflectors. You want to be seen out there. And, and to be honest, during the day, you know, wear bright colors. Wear black. That's a guideline, right? That's not a rule. I mean, we, right, it's which, not a rule. That's the, not the law. The, the pedals, the the reflectors on the pedals. That's a rule. Yes. Okay. Yes, and that's vehicle code section twenty one two o two and twenty one two o four. You can look that up in the California vehicle code. Um, what? A couple other quick, and then Jeffrey can probably jump in on this. But and and many people know it, and some don't. If you're traveling slower than the normal speed of traffic then you must ride as close to the right-hand side of the road as is practicable. It doesn't say possible. It says practicable. And what that means is that when you need to pass, you can go into the lane of travel. When there's a pothole in the street and it could do, you know, it's a hazard and could throw you off your bike or even do damage to your bike, you have a right to move into the lane of travel. Be careful. Look over your shoulder or wear a mirror. Make sure you're doing that safely. Uh, when you're preparing for a left-hand turn, of course, you can go into the left-hand turn. But signal. Use signals. Put your hand out. Put your arm out. Um, what else? Uh, you always have to have at least one hand on the handlebars. And to be honest, it's better to have two. That, that's a California vehicle code. Um, a lot, of, a lot of people ask me this, can we wear earphones? Can we listen to music, have earphones? The answer to that is only in one ear. One ear. You can't put it in both ears. Uh, that's the law. I'm sorry? Well, you can have it as long as it's not uh, interfering with your ability to handle the bike safely. If it's affixed to something... Either like an iPad or not an iPad, either iPod, iPod, or some other listening device. If it's on your person and tucked away safely, or if it fits into something on your bike, you can use it that way. Can I just about just the writing and it's some assumptions that we all need to make, and there there is. Always assume there's a car at your at your at your, at your rear. Always don't ever move to your left or to your right without first looking. This is huge in bicycle accidents. Um, it, it's just tremendous. Um, and the other thing that to, to know, and it's not at all to get cocky about. It's a law already on the books, is that you have a right to safe passage on the road. And there is now conversation about give a cyclist three feet. That's another conversation, and there are real pros about that as, as well before you pass if you're in a car. But right now, an existing law, if you do anything to impede the direction of that bicycle and cause that bicycle to then fall because I have to correct because you've cut me off or whatever, um, that's, that's a violation of the, of the California Code. And in San Francisco, they're citing for that as well. So... The idea is to try to make yourself seen as much as possible. And, again, it's just a recommendation. 
you know, you don't want to mix in with the background because there's always that excuse or reasoning. I didn't see the cyclist. Sure. What about sidewalks? Good question. I, you must have been reading my mind. Um, actually, there's an L.A. municipal code that actually says, I'm not sure it's, it says you can ride on the sidewalk, but what it does say is, is that you can't, cannot ride on the sidewalk in a way that will put pedestrians or others uh, in jeopardy uh, of being hurt. Uh, and I'm kind of paraphrasing and using my words, but that's essentially it. In other words, you got to be really careful when you ride your bike on the sidewalk. Uh, pedestrians have the right to the sidewalk, and you can't in any way uh, be reckless uh, with your bicycle or put pedestrians uh, at any threat of danger. My best advice is try to stay off the sidewalks, walk your bike on the sidewalks. Um, but there are times when it's safer to be on the sidewalk than it is the street. Right. And, and to look at the local jurisdiction we are riding, because other cities absolutely prohibit riding on a sidewalk. It's, it's on the local ordinance level. Yeah. Um, just so our listeners know, there are certain places in Los Angeles that are not the city of Los Angeles but are within Los Angeles County where it is illegal to ride on a bicycle. That includes West Hollywood. In certain places, there's usually signage that says you cannot ride on the, the sidewalk and also in Santa Monica. So just be really mindful of that. Um, I don't know that, that the, the police are, are looking to um, harass you if you are in West Hollywood or Santa Monica and on the sidewalk, but there are signs that say it is illegal. So just be mindful of that. Yeah, that's a good point. It's strange how the laws work. And, you know, here we are writing in Santa Monica, and suddenly we're in L.A., and different laws apply. And you're absolutely right with regard to sidewalk travel on bicycles. The other thing where it changes is in L.A. City, actually, you're supposed to have a license on your bike or license your bike. Uh, apparently it's required when you buy the bike in L.A. or you ride the bike in L.A., whereas... Yeah, there's an L.A. municipal code that provides for that, but yet in other uh, adjoining cities or jurisdictions, it's not required. So, uh, you know, it, it makes it tough on us bicyclists as to what we need to do and not do. It would be great to have a little greater uniformity here. Um, so, actually, with that, um, I think we're going to take a little musical interlude. Um, I'm actually going to play one of my uh, favorite songs to uh, ride my bike really fast to. Um, so enjoy, and we'll be back in a couple minutes.
All right, so we're back, and we're joined with Stephen Box now um, and Dale. Oh, Dale Benson. Anyways, uh, we were we were getting distracted. Actually, we were having a conversation. Uh, we were kind of going back to one of the points that we were um, discussing earlier, which was, uh, I just blanked. Ref- we were talking about reflectors, but we were talking about oh, overcorrecting. Um, and I actually was not part of the conversation because I was looking for uh, this thing online. But uh, Stephen, what were you guys talking about? The overcorrecting. We were talking about Sharrows, a very popular transportation innovation here in Southern California. And Long Beach just won an award for their Sharrows. They put them right in the center of the lane, in the number two lane. And then they painted the lane green just to make sure no one missed them. And they won an award, a national award for uh, from transportation engineers. And so when you ride, uh, Charlie Gandy says it's an invitation to ride, uh, of all things. And uh, there's a great deal of controversy over how the shares are supposed to be implemented, and it seems like several municipalities, including Los Angeles, have come up with their own unique variations and um, interpretations. And so on the 26th at 1130, we're having the L.A. Sheros Task Force. It's from 1130 to um, to 1.30. It's called Open Space. Uh, uh, it's the Caltrans District 7 Bicycle Advisory Open Space. Bring a lunch. We're going to sit down and look at photos and video of every share in L.A. County from Manhattan Beach to um, Glendale to Long Beach to the city of L.A. And so Dan Gutierrez has um, filmed them and we've ridden them and videotaped them and measured them. And so we're going to be working on – L.A. is the largest city, the most populated state, and the most powerful country in the world. There's no reason why we shouldn't be the leaders in the implementation of sheriffs and, and designating some standards for cyclists on the streets and get this controversy behind us. Because of all the things to fight over, uh, the, some silly paint on the street seems a, a, a sad thing for us to be grappling with. So that's the 26th, which is a Thursday, 1130 to 130 at 100 Main Street downtown. It's that big, huge Caltrans building. Hard to miss. We'll be on the uh, ground floor, open to the public. Stephen, let me ask you. Well, first I'll preface this with I think it's a great idea to do a better color than necessarily white, (laughs) something that stands out a little better and everyone can see, Mm -hmm. especially motorists. But how do we educate the public uh, in terms of what the Shero sign is, in other words, the Chevron with the bicycle, and then what it means? Because my concern is that perhaps – you know, a small percentage of the population really understands that. That's a good point. I asked the police officers on 4th Street. Uh, I think they're from Rampart or Olympic. Um, I said, how the sheriffs work? And they said, what? I said, the, uh, the shared uh, lane marking. And they said, what? And those are the police. Yeah, this is the police officers. And they were um, on the street patrolling, and they were ticketing someone for something. And they said, you know, um, to be quite honest, the people here don't pay attention to the um, eight-sided red sign that says stop. So uh, this particular innovation that's on the ground and not supported by signs that say bicyclists allowed full use of the lane. In other words, uh, to your point, uh, there's so much we can do to educate. And even that those wheat pay, that wheat paste campaign, uh, you know, of caution with a sharrow, I think on the, on the utility boxes around town, even that do-it-yourself campaign did more to educate because at least it was up where people could see it and said, uh, it caused people to say, hmm, what's that? Which is the first part of education, people saying, hmm, what's that? But I think there's five layers. Uh, the LAPD, and they've educated 6,000 uh, uh, LAPD officers in one month. That's absolutely amazing. The second is the city family, uh, engineers, the community, uh, the community members themselves, like the neighborhood councils, et cetera, motorists, and then cyclists. 
Because out of those six groups, I don't think you'll get any consensus on what they are. So to your point, the campaign must include the press. Uh, it must include social media. It must include um, something in the DMV, which, by the way, we rarely go to, so I don't know. That's a very – but it's nice to have it established there in the DNA of, of education. Um, yeah, I was going to comment on that. At least drivers who are getting their license for the first time right. and drivers who are renewing their license – uh, it should be in the DMV booklet that right. you study in order to pass your right. test. Uh, and then on the test itself, there should be a question right. about Sharrows. And so we're at least starting with a lot of young people uh-huh. who are driving for the first time as well as hopefully some adults who have to renew their, their license. But I think the most powerful uh, thing we can do with regards to education is that confident uh, urban cyclists demonstrate with their behavior and train the people around them, including us, ourselves, nothing stronger than peer pressure. So when you see someone littering, you say, hey, man, that's not cool. People stop littering. And when you see people behave badly on the streets, whether it's a bus operator, a taxi cab operator, an LAPD officer, uh, another cyclist or a motorist, if you give them a thumbs up when they do something right, and if your behavior controls the lane, they start to learn that, oh, my God, you know, these streets are for everybody. And I think that's our greatest opportunity for education. Steven, I just want to say, uh, before you walked in the room, one of the things about the bicycle that Really, uh, we were talking about, and it's the core of my heart, it's, it's an incredible community-building tool. And one of the things that I think we cyclists really need to do, the minute you throw that leg over the bike or however you get on that bike, you're an ambassador. You know, exactly. You're an ambassador. You're an ambassador for our community and really need to form relationships. In terms of the Sharrows, interesting phenomena. I, you know, we've been all been reading about New York you know, and what New York has been doing. And I, as I was saying to Howard, and I think I emailed you, I, just getting back from there, I didn't believe what I was reading about how this is working. And they have Sharrows. And we stood there watching in a variety of points. The only place is Columbus Circle. It doesn't work. And basically, it, from a New York attitude of it is, the Sharrow, they don't get into all these particulars of what point, this, that. All it is is a symbol that says, yo, Bikes are going to be here, and let's work it out. Yeah. And and somehow it does that. Somehow this man, we are watching, and there is this accommodation, even with, and we saw in cases of cabbies, you know, who can be, and, 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 and it's happening. So there is, again, the more people getting out there and mixing it up, that itself is education. Now, how we get out there, that's a big deal. And, again, the ambassador being ambassadors. Jeffrey, let me ask you this question. This is Howard. Um, we've ridden together a lot, and I have a lot of respect for you in terms of oh. how you handle the road. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> you are very good at calling out uh, hazards in the road. Uh, you're very good at using hand signals. Uh, you're very good at screaming out door when you think somebody's going to open their door. In fact, they have. Uh we have also, though, been the victims, as I'm sure pretty much all bicyclists out there who bicycle with any frequency, of particularly people in automobiles yelling at us, uh, screaming obscenities, at times throwing things at us, yes. uh, or, or downright using their vehicle in a way that it should not be used. How do we as bicyclists handle that? What's the best way? Yeah, That is really a deep, deep question because, you know, honestly, Howard, as you know, I, I've been in situations where I, I thought it was a defining moment in my life about how people, so one person was using a car and another 
not knowing what had hit me from the backside, and somebody had thrown a full can of soda at me from a car that was moving about 55 miles an hour. It hurts. Um, and all I can say is, I, I, I guess it sounds like the old civil rights movement, you know, about practicing nonviolence in a way, you know. There's a rage that goes over me, and I have to, in a way, I'm not saying take it, but remember the reality on the road. I've got a 17-pound bike. I'm a little guy. <laughs> You're driving a car. You know, I mean, it's right there, the law of physics. And if I act out, there there are really heavy consequences that could wait for me. And so I realize I'm responsible for my own behavior, as hard as that is. Now, that's talking to you in a real unemotional way. But I'm going to be honest. There are times where I just want to take after somebody who's done something really wrong. And this gets to a, a deeper topic. Well, isn't there... Probably all of us have that first reaction of getting angry, and maybe we, uh, what's the saying? Flip, flip them off. Flip them off. That's right. And that you know, middle finger comes up. Right. Uh, it's almost a, a, right. a conditioned response. Uh, or we might even want to kick the car. You know what? They're uh, just going to take it out on the next cyclist. That's how I see it, and that's the story I tell myself. Some, and it's, it's usually somebody who's very vulnerable because it can be a power relationship. Here's an easy, you know, and I realize that my behavior leads to how the next cyclist is going to be treated. That's kind of how I look at it, you know. And just just sort of as a final point on this, one of the things we've really got to get to, we use the term cyclist a lot. In reality, we're people. We're sons, daughters. We're mothers, fathers. We're brothers, sisters. We just happen to be on a bicycle, and somehow this term cyclist all of a sudden removes the human element. We're human beings under these helmets. We really, really are. With stories and lives, children waiting to greet us at home and hug us, you know, mothers and fathers who need to see us. And if we're mothers and fathers, we need to see our kids, you know. And this is something that anybody on the road needs to think of in this context. It's not really a cyclist. This is a brother or sister on a bicycle, no matter who it is. Well said. And I think that's, I mean, I think that the the thing that, especially for for those of us who have um, gotten frustrated and haven't been exactly sure how to deal with that kind of incident, is to remember um, just exactly like Jeffrey said, that that however we respond, um, that that is going to transfer to the next uh, encounter that that person has with another person on a bike. Um, because I do think it's it can be challenging, um, especially when you kind of know that that whatever the driver did, um, you know, maybe no one will believe you. Maybe maybe if you do have to call the police, it's going to be so much of a hassle for you to explain to the police why whatever you know happened um, was not your fault. Um, but I really think it is a good reminder because I, I know as as a I don't know, as a road cyclist who, like, can get very upset when someone uh, is honking at me. One of the things, and this is something we talked about earlier in the show, that I've gotten really good at is because I don't like riding um, in that door zone and because I'm often taking a lane even when there is a bike lane, um, I've gotten really good at at very calmly um, speaking to the, you know, the driver that's honking at me or, or speaking to the person who is, you know, shouting that, you know, get in the bike lane and that sort of thing. Because 
the reality is, is you're usually on a bike. You're usually going to catch up with those people, um, especially if you're going on a street like Sunset or Fourth or, or, or Fountain, whatever. I mean, they're going about the same speed you are. Um, and they don't always want to engage, and that's fine. But I, I've, I've trained my face to just, like, look pleasant and look less pissed off than I often am and just say, look, I'm sorry that I'm, I'm sorry that I'm in the lane, except that it's not safe for me to be anywhere else. And you can pass me, um, you know, especially on, I mean, on Fountain and, and Fourth Street, it is a little bit more difficult for that car to pass you. But I mean, I just try to, um, I try to be as pleasant as possible, even if I, even if it's totally false, um, because, I mean, it was a couple weeks ago I was riding down 4th Street and this woman was behind me just honking at me um, the entire way. Uh, she could have passed me uh, and, and then she did and then I caught up to her and, and, and it's just this like cat and mouse game back and forth. And because it's happened enough, you can sort of say, okay, take it in stride. Like, she just doesn't understand. And the best thing that I can do is just, you know, continue on my way. And, you know, if I do catch up and her window's open, I can, I can try to engage, but you have to be careful, um, because, because people often feel like the reason that I'm on my bicycle is to just get in their way. Um, and it can be a challenge, but I do want to just remind everyone that whatever, it might not be fair, but whatever you do is going to impact how that person treats the next, um, person on a bicycle that, that, that you see. That they see. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And you know, from a legal standpoint, uh, the best rule of thumb is don't antagonize, um, don't take the situation and make it worse than it is. Um, as you said, maybe you know, if anything, kill them with kindness. Um, I, I do know this is that because I was contacted recently, and perhaps others here uh, also were about uh, the city attorney has been asked to look into the potential for local legislation, uh, you know, on an L.A. municipal level uh, to add a civil remedy uh, that would allow bicyclists uh, to bring an action against operators of motor vehicles for harassment on the road. Uh, so at least... Uh, our officials in government here are looking at it. They're thinking about it. It's on their mind. Uh, they're looking to see how to better protect cyclists in that situation. And uh, that's an area we can all advocate more for and ask our local officials to continue that mindset uh, to try and pass ordinances and regulations that are going to help bicyclists and keep us safe. You know, there's one more thing you can do when you experience um, conflict on the street. And by the way, Jeff, you're absolutely right. Um, if I might back up, uh, the getting on a bike is actually a great metaphor for life because uh, you have to communicate, you have to negotiate, and you have to cooperate in order for it to work. And so actually it works on the bike and it works off the bike, so there's no better way. And I think it's a great reminder sometimes that we all have places to go and we've got to get along or it's not going to work. But if you experience something on the streets, some conflict on the streets, um, one thing you can do is go to labikemap.org and you can load the data yourself. And whether it's a road condition, uh, a road rage incident, just engineered conflict, like you just notice that this particular uh, intersection just doesn't work for anybody and that's why we're having people yelling at each other. Or it might be uh, an individual, a, a near miss. It might be a hit and run. 
no injury. But the thing is, if we log, if you're injured, by the way, um, you'll have to wait until you, you get done mending, I'm sure, to get But we want to collect the data because Dr. Christopher Thompson, when he had that incident in Mandeville Canyon, that wasn't his first incident. But if we don't collect the data, we – oh, uh, uh, some time ago, a year and a half ago, July 4th weekend, uh, Dr. Christopher Thompson was coming down the hill behind two cyclists. Their presence on the streets irritated him. Um, they had a, a, a bit of a exchange of, in, uh, of communication. He pulled in front of them, hit the brakes, sending them into the back of the car, severely injured. One guy left his teeth and bits of body part, you know, in the back of the car. And in this particular case, cyclists prevailed in the sense as a community because he was prosecuted and found guilty in his doing time. But it wasn't the first time he'd had an incident on the same street with cyclists, but in the other cases. Uh, the police didn't respond, or the city attorney or the district attorney didn't respond. But the point was, if we collect good data, we can show that this license plate keeps turning up. So you see, if the LAPD doesn't have online um, uh, reporting, and if it takes two hours to fill out a police report, and and uh, the hassle factor is holding people back, this makes it easy for us to collect data and hand it to the police and say, look, or, or to Bureau of Street Services and say, look, we're having incidents on this street because of the maintenance, or to Caltrans, or to the county, or whoever the supervising authority is. The other thing is, if you look at the map, every red dot is a collision, and it is absolutely incredible. Six, interse- six in- incidents at one intersection? Well, there's a problem, and we should be able to use that as, as an opportunity. So it's not just me, me, me. It's us. It's the community, and that map then is a resource that we can give to our, our uh, leadership and say we need some help here. It's uh, labikemap.org. We've got 85 cities in the county. So when you say L.A., does this account for the diverse cities, or is it just the city of Los Angeles? It's actually um, uh, the whole area because we don't know the I, – I couldn't tell you where the boundaries are. And, you know, I can't even tell sometimes the street name because I go by landmarks and road conditions and, I, and hills. You know, th- this is how I ride sometimes uh, from gelato stand to gelato stand, apparently. Um, <laughs> but uh, So I can tell you that better. Th- but the thing here is if you're riding, uh, the idea is that you can hit it with um, using the map just by pointing at the location. You can use addresses if you know them. And so it doesn't matter. It doesn't. Res- it, it, it's not held back by the boundaries because you're absolutely right. You can't ride across the street in this town without h- hitting another municipality authority or, oh my gosh, it's the Army Corps of Engineers. You know, it's like there's so many people in charge of uh, the streets. Uh, but this is one way for us to get them together and say there's a problem here. Can you help us fix it? All right. So um, I'm trying to think if we've if we've covered everything um, in terms of of the laws. Um, What's, I guess, I guess something that would be helpful f- for me to maybe understand and something that, that uh, is perhaps a little bit frustrating is w- what happens when you have been hit and you do have to call the police? Um, is it, is it, I mean, how should you tell them what you need? Is it, is it that you need to tell them to take a police report? Um, because I know, I know that there's sometimes where they say, "Oh, it's you know, it's not necessary." Is it always the smartest thing to do to file a police report? Kind of, what's the process of when you're hit? What what are some smart things to do? I know that um, I was hit about a year ago, and um, I was fortunate enough to have you know people around me who could advise me, and you know, so I was keeping like a journal of like how I felt, what was happening, keeping track of everything. Um, do you have any other recommendations? Because it's one of those things that I got hit. And I, and I went off the bike, 
and all of those things that people had told me to do, like, you know, don't reach your arm out and, you know, all that stuff. I did everything wrong, you know, because you don't, you know, it's just your instinct. But, but I mean, the, I mean, the, the fire, the fireman asked me questions like, do you want to go to the hospital? And, and I was saying, I don't know. I mean, I just got hit by a car. I don't know what's going on. What do I, I, I mean, it's so overwhelming. Um, so if this is something that we can kind of talk about so that people have it in their mind, um, even again, you know, you might not remember it. You might not be able to follow it to the T, but like, what are some recommendations for when something does happen like that? What, what's kind of the process? Let me just comment. You're absolutely right. We don't expect to be in an accident when we get on our bike, uh, in the morning or in the afternoon to either take a ride or go to work or uh, go to the grocery store. We don't expect that. Um, so when you get hit, hopefully it's not serious. But even if it's not serious, uh, the answer is yes. You should make a report. Okay? You should get and compile any evidence at the scene. Get names of the driver. Uh, get his insurance information, I say his or her, um, the make of the car, if we're talking about a vehicle, of course, the license plate, uh, get the uh, person's, uh, uh, all the information, okay? That's the best thing to do. Uh, write that down. Uh, if you have a camera with you, uh, many of us may have a, a cell phone that takes pictures. Take pictures, Take pictures of the vehicle that hits you. Take pictures of your bicycle. Take pictures of uh, any of the harm that has come to you, bruises, uh, anything. If you're injured and the paramedics come to the scene, so your injury is a little more severe, uh, you may be in shock. That is a likely condition after you're in a bicycle accident like definitely, that. Definitely, definitely. Uh, take advantage of that. I don't mean advantage in the sense of you uh, you're taking advantage. You, you need to go to the hospital. If you don't have your wits about you, if you're feeling dizzy, if you have potential broken bones, uh, perhaps you've hit your head, you may have a concussion, go to the hospital. Um, if the police come to the scene and you're still there, make sure you tell them your story. Do it calmly and directly. Uh, even if the police officer appears to be favoring the motorist, uh, make sure in a calm fashion you tell him what's happened and get your side of the story in. Um, make sure you follow up in terms of if you didn't have a camera at the scene, when you go home, take pictures of your injuries, take pictures of your bike. Uh, make sure the information, if you don't have all of it, that at least you got a phone number of the person that hits you and follow up on that. Uh, go to your physician, your doctor. Uh, make sure you've been attended to. That is all important. Um, if you suffer reasonably serious injuries, uh, if you need ongoing medical care, uh, if you're going to miss time from work, if you have harms and damages that are going to affect you for a while, contact an attorney. Um, you have a right to do that, uh, and you have a right to proceed. The laws allow for that. Um, they're there to protect you and uh, you should use them. One, one other aspect uh, about this is uh, cycling. When you fall, we call it falling, it's actually a blow to the body because you're impacted by something. It's mama nature. You're stunned. <laughs> and 
when I've fallen, the first thing that my brain is, did this happen? And it kind of sometimes wants to check out, you know, because it's saying, okay, I don't want to feel this pain. So it makes you go unconscious, which leads to this very, very critical point that, as a matter of fact, I learned through a, a case that Howard was also working. And that is about this thing about carrying ID. It's not a license. But I learned that paramedics, when they report to a scene, they all have different levels of training, again, depending right, Steve, which city you're in, right? What jurisdiction are you? But what they'll frequently do if they find you and they don't know, they will cut the clothing from you. And if you have a wallet in your pocket somewhere, right, if you have a wallet in your pocket somewhere, it goes into a, a, a biohazard bag. You're then taken in to ER. You're Jane Doe or Joe Doe for a little while, and they don't know. So the important thing, Steve is wearing his dog tags, and it gives critical information because it's on his body. You can get things around your wrist, around your ankle, so that at least emergency personnel who do respond know who you are and who to contact in the event you're unconscious or you can't identify yourself. So it's critical that it is on the body and not in a pocket or in a pouch that is stowed somewhere as well. Okay, so that's... It's a good idea to carry ID always, even if it's uh, your license, your driver's license, or a card. And in my office was putting out cards and distributing them where you could put your name and your phone number. And actually something you taught me, Jeffrey, was in your cell phone put in case of emergency. Definitely. And because Definitely. Uh, medical personnel know about that, police officers usually do, and they can go right to your cell phone. And, and these days most people do carry a cell phone. Yeah. Um. So, let's see. I'm trying to think. Yeah, so I guess we're, we're going to play another uh, song, another song that I like to ride my bike to, and we'll be back in a, in a couple minutes. And I broke the machine. So uh, that was our interlude because uh, I don't know how to use technology. Um, but, yeah, we could all start singing to you guys. Uh, actually, I, I kind of want to lighten the mood, if that's all right. I would like to talk about our, our cycling and, and riding our bikes and, and what our favorite time of day is to ride. Um, I know that we were talking earlier about how you guys have sort of like started taking to the Hollywood Hills uh, around Griffith Park. Um, but if you were going to recommend a ride for someone, let's say, who, who hasn't ever, who has only been riding as a, as a commuter, they've only been going from, let's, let's use my old commute where they're only going from like Silver Lake to UCLA and they're taking a route like Fountain to Santa Monica Boulevard to Westwood. That's all they're doing. That's all they, they're just back and forth, back and forth. What, what kind of route would you say like? You guys, you should really check this out, and it's going to make you fall in love with riding your bike for fun. Well, I'll say this. If you're riding from Silver Lake and you're going to go to UCLA, um, you can ride Sunset for a while. That's, that's not a bad street to ride. But once you get into the Beverly Hills area, especially where the streets start to wind after Whittier, 
I don't recommend being on your bike. Uh, there are no sidewalks for the most part there. Uh, cars are speeding along at up to 45, 50 miles an hour. It's curvy. Uh, don't do it. Uh, so at that point, you want to get onto a street. Could be Wilshire Boulevard. We'll take you over to UCLA. Perhaps the safest is Santa Monica Boulevard. And the reason for that is there is a bike lane. And I think as we talked about earlier, I'm not sure whether we were on the air or off the air, but the bike lane that is on Santa Monica Boulevard uh, now goes, I'm not sure exactly where it starts on the eastern end, but it's uh, pretty far out. And certainly all through West Hollywood, uh, there's a bike lane. Yeah, and I mean, the, my favorite places on Santa Monica to, to bike are actually after Beverly Hills, um, because all through West Hollywood, you're in the door zone, which again, like, is my least favorite thing in the whole world. But uh, right at Avenue of the Stars, another bike lane starts up um, all the way through through to the 405. Right. It breaks apart in Beverly Hills, but you're right, all the way to the 405. And I know we frequently take that when we're going east to west, and we'll get on Santa Monica Boulevard. Uh, you can then, at a, a good ride is to get on that road, Santa Monica, take it through um, Century City, get on Sepulveda. Uh, you make a right-hand turn. You can then um, make a left-hand turn. Jeffrey, what's that street? Ohio. Ohio. Yeah, it's not a bad street to, to go on to. You can actually then go through the VA, uh, the Veterans Administration. As long as you are uh, polite and courteous and obey the laws, uh, they'll be okay with you. And um, you can go through the Veterans Administration there where there are very few cars, if any. Uh, you can come up on uh, – you actually go underneath uh, Wilshire Boulevard and come up on the other side and come out at San Vicente uh, – you can then go down San Vicente, which uh, most people who ride bikes in Los Angeles know is a heavily frequented thoroughfare for bicycles. That will take you down to the ocean. You're right at the, literally at the ocean looking down on it. You're up on Palisades Park. Uh, you can then ride uh, ocean there along Palisades Park, um, and it's beautiful. If you like, you can go down then from there on to the bike path. Uh, in Santa Monica and into Venice. Um, How do you? Okay, this is a question I have because I I always end up taking California down that crazy thing. I don't know how to get from ocean to the beach without being totally unsafe on that crazy California descent onto PCH. I I think for me and everybody can chime in on this. The best way is to stay on ocean until you get to Pico. Uh, and then you make a right on Pico, which you're kind of at uh, kind of a landmark. There is a Shutters Hotel, and um, Do a and that will lead you directly onto the bike path. It's it's a natural way to get on there. Uh, and then if you want to, if you go left on the bike path at that point, you go down towards Venice and Marina del Rey, uh, and eventually you can make your way down to the South Bay on the bike path. Uh, if you were to go right, meaning you're going north on the bike path at that time. At that point, you climb up. Well, not climb. It's pretty flat. But you go through Santa Monica, um, I think as far as Chautauqua and even beyond that. Right. Uh, you get to Temescal right. Canyon at least about there when it stops. Yeah, yeah. Um, that these these are like some great routes. But I want to tell you this this really corny thing that we've been doing of late. Um, I've been on a road bike for about thirty years. Um, Okay, I'll just say it. I'm 56. <laughs> and I'm going through this whole new chapter of discovery and cycling. 
And I put together a touring bike. I mean, really one of these corny things. With, I want the panniers, the whole bit. Because I guess they say when you get older, you like endurance. And you like the long haul or whatever. And I, I um, so I put together this bike. And Howard's threatened he's going to put one together. A group of us guys have. And I want to talk about Sunday mornings in L.A. Because did you know that in the heart of Los Angeles there are roosters? Did you know that there are actual birds in the city of Los Angeles that you don't hear on every other day? And the other thing that makes Sundays so remarkable, that is a great day for people who do not necessarily have vast experience in dealing with the road skills and traffic to get out, discover their city. Did you know that certain cultures are in the streets? There are parts of the city where we've been riding at at 6.30 in the morning in certain areas Southeast Asians, remarkable, selling these vegetables. These were wonderful green vegetables out of buckets that you wouldn't normally see. Um, All the different kinds of cultures that are out there. You'll never see this from a car, folks. You know, but you get out there, and it's it's an extension of the slow movement. Take your time, breathe a little bit, get to know your neighbors in ways. And in this sense, this whole thing about being this aging fart, I guess that I am, or whatever of sorts, is that you really discover some of the magic that is in our metro, and it's so much fun on a bicycle, because you never know who you're going to meet, and there have been times when Howard and I have been on the road, where people will literally stop in the car, and they've got bicycle envy, and they say, hey you guys, where are you going, or where have you been, or dang, I wish I were on a bicycle right now. We say, well, get out of the car. Get on that bike, throw your leg over it, and come on out. I was going to say, there was a period of time, um, probably from about, I would say, like February until the end of May, where I was getting up really early. And my favorite discovery um, was I would go from um, I would go from my house um, up in Silver Lake all the way down to Venice and kind of weave down... Uh, Hoover and Vermont and, and, and then hop onto Venice and go out to the ocean and just check in and make sure it was still there and then come home um, all before, you know, 7.30 or 8 in the morning um, on a weekday. I had no idea that people played badminton at 5.30 in the morning in Koreatown. I had, I had no it, – it blew my mind uh, because I thought – I was like, all right, it's 5.30 in the morning. I'm on my bike. I'm going to be the only one. I, uh, no one else is going to be out there right now. And I was completely wrong because there's groups of people, and not just a couple, not like two, you know, like 25 people playing badminton, 5.30 in the morning in Koreatown. Um, and then I was happy to discover kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, um, after May I started kind of riding at night instead of in the morning, and so I would go out weeknights around 10 p.m. and, and come back um, after midnight, and I was happy to discover that in Echo Park, people were playing tennis at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 a.m. in the morning on a weeknight, um, which also made me really happy to know because I was kind of, you know, I think that, that because I'm, I'm still new to L.A., I, I wasn't sure what the city looks like at all hours. Um, but since I've started uh, cycling more, um, I've really discovered that we're not the only people outside, um, there's all sorts of people who are taking advantage of the fact that, you know, we have roosters and, and you know, horses and, and, and parks and that sort of thing. Um, 
And it's the kind of thing that I'm not sure if you don't notice during the day because there's so much other stuff going on. I'm sure that people play badminton and people play tennis during the day as well. But there's something that I really appreciate almost more about the fact that people are doing this at night or in the morning. They're, you know, they're making time for this to happen. And um, it's, yeah, I highly recommend getting up early one morning just to see what your neighborhood looks like at that hour. You know, those are all three uh, great ways to approach what's a great ride. You know, uh, a route, um, you know, the, the, the style of riding and, your, and also, you know, different environments and um, different times of day. And there's an opportunity coming up, which is my favorite time to ride. It, it happens once a year. It's September 17th. It's the third Friday in September. And it's Parking Day L.A. And so last year we built 48 parks around the city in parking spaces in an attempt to initiate a, a dialogue, a discussion about the, our allocation of public space. So the tagline for Parking Day LA is, is that streets are for people. And this year we'll be, uh, last year we had 48 parks. Um, uh, we had a, a couple of um, bike rides. And this year, again, we'll have two bike rides, one from the west side to the east side, and one from the east side to the west side, touring the parks. And in fact, Dale Benson and I, on our way here, we're out uh, scouting out parks here in Silver Lake. So there'll be west side clusters, Silver Lake clusters, downtown clusters, Valley, Hollywood, and the idea with different themes. There's going to be Shakespeare in the parking. There'll be dog parking. There'll be trailer parking. So people will be demonstrating cargo bikes. There'll be an urban farm. There was a health clinic, and somebody got married in a uh, wedding chapel in a, in a park <laughs> last year. So there are lots of opportunities for people to participate. If you go to parkingla.com. But we have a meeting this Thursday up at uh, Barnesdale Park uh, at 7 o'clock here in East Hollywood where we'll be um, engaging volunteers, uh, ride leaders. I, I, um, I guess we're calling them park rangers, the people who will be heading up the clusters. And the idea is, one, to establish um, this would be a great place for a park. Or uh, how do we allocate public space? Where are the parks? But wouldn't it be great if people were out? And, in fact, we're going to do one, uh, streets are for eating. And so Dale's going to put a bike corral, and then there'll be um, – uh, Eric and some of the others will be, would be doing entertainment, and then there'll be um, the third parking space will be the restaurant will move into the parking space because it feels so good with the farmer's market going on that why does everything have to be hidden uh, behind this barrier of stored personal property? So the idea is just uh, back to, uh, wouldn't it, you know, how can we reimagine our streets? So, and then the best part of it all is uh, last year we did loading zone, so we towed a park uh, on bikes from uh, Culver City across to Echo Park, Ing, for the uh, ride-in movie which was the Triplets of Belleville by Echo Park. Um, the Echo Park Film Center screened it. So there's an opportunity, and it's a fun way to engage people that have never ridden before because if we can just get them to ride in their neighborhood and in in around the cluster of parks, uh, they'll be with a group, and there's always something uh, really um, uh, powerful about being with a group of cyclists. And it'll be with a purpose, so we have many destinations, and it'll also be uh, in the spirit of Streets are for People. So anyway, that's a, just an idea for a bike, couple of bike rides coming up. A crazy thought here. Uh, it's just looking back, you know, uh, archaeologists in the future. Wouldn't it be great if they could tell the story when they were asked, what were these streets about? And, it, well, this is where people gather. These were the commons of where they got on these bicycle things. It's where they, they engaged in farmers markets. They did all this stuff. And then some little kid comes up, well, what about cars? Don't know anything about that. You know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, yeah, and I think that actually we've got a lot of stuff going on um, this fall in L.A. related to biking because um, we've also got um, the Ciclovia, which is happening on 10-10-10, um, 
um, which I think it's seven miles of streets are going to be closed off, um, not uh, impermeable to, to traffic, but um, kind of in between, I believe, Boyle Heights all the way to Koreatown. Um, but I'm tr- And then we, there's just a whole bunch of stuff going on, and I know that we refer you guys to all sorts of websites, um, but there's a couple that you can check out if you search um, Ciclovia. Um, that's, uh, I think it's a WordPress, um, blog. Um, and then we've got the parking day LA. Um, a lot of these events are advertised on, uh, midnight riders, um, or LA fixed. Um, also, um, you know, just if, if you friend, um, bike talk on, uh, the Facebook, um, we have a lot of these events posted on our page. So, um, just remember that, that, that it, one of the kind of the ways that that we advocate is just by, you know, hanging out and, and being together and being on bikes and that it doesn't have to be um, hard or scary or overtly political. Um, just getting on your bike is an act of, you know, it's a political act, um, whether you like it or not. And uh, there's a lot of things that you can do um, with your friends and with your family and, and with your neighbors that just sort of like helps to create that community and create that space so that people know that, that you're on bikes. Um, it's kind of fun to, in my apartment building, for example, I think that our, uh, there's six units and I think that we're the only unit that uses bikes. And at first everyone was, you know, asking us about like, what are your shoes about? Cause my shoes make a lot of noise when I'm riding clipless, walking up and down the stairs with my bike and, and, um, and now they, you know, they, they're used to us, you know, that there's a whole bunch of us kind of coming in and out of bikes. So whenever we have a party, there's, you know, like at least 25 bikes in my bedroom that we're just sort of storing. And it's really exciting to sort of see um, people getting used to bicycles. And it's we didn't have to do anything crazy or like talk to them about like our crazy advocacy or anything like that. We just, you know, are present on our bikes Um you know, when they ask about our parking spot in the apartment complex, we say, well, we don't need one because we don't have any cars. Um, so it's it's kind of a cool, it's easy, and there's a lot of events. And, and I think that one thing that I know that we talk about a lot on this show is people in Los Angeles don't know how lucky they are because the amount of resources for bikes and the amount of group rides that are happening on a regular basis is just incredible. Um, any day of the week that you want to go on a bike ride, something is happening. Uh, you can go by yourself. You can go with your friends. You can meet up with groups of people um, from all over the city um, in all different areas, whether you're kind of south or, or central or west or north or east. Um, there's there's great, great things going on um, for everyone. So, um, yeah, I think that, that we're really lucky, and I know that we kind of invoke a lot of these other cities as, as great examples of infrastructure, but We've got the community. We really do, and we're really, really fortunate, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't lose sight of that because that's, that's what will make Los Angeles biking um, something that's possible. That's really well said. I think it, it all starts with the community, and it comes back to the community. Uh, not to repeat, but in your own neighborhood, uh, ask people where are the good places to ride around here. Uh, find out the, the clubs, organizations, bike clubs. Um, they have websites, and there's always suggested rides. Exactly like you said, there are rides going all over Los Angeles every day. And, and not only uh, will you find it a good ride, but you'll meet nice people. 
and uh, you'll see things you've never seen before. You'll see them, and even if you've been in those areas, you'll just see them in a different way on a bike. Um, as you know, I'm big on safety. Um, know your own capacity. Know your own ability. Um, don't put yourself in situations that you don't feel comfortable with yet. Uh, it's okay to go to your local park and practice, especially with young kids who are just learning how to ride. Don't put them in harm's way. Um, find people who may be more experienced and are willing to spend the time uh, to help you learn good bicycle practice and how to ride on the road. Uh, take it in baby steps and lead up to it. And you'll not only enjoy bicycling more, you'll do it in a safer way. Yeah, and actually, I just wanted to echo something. Um, I know we talked about it earlier, but um, one of the things that, that we can do as, as people who ride our bikes all the time is call out. Um, it's something that I learned um, uh, from Roadblock uh, once I started riding with him on a regular basis, but you, you call the doors, you call the potholes. Uh, if you're in a group of people, you call whether the light is changing. Um, warn people that you're going to be slowing down. Call it if you're going to, if you're going to roll as a group. Make sure that everyone's together. Make sure that someone's, you know, like warning the cars, um, if you are going through an intersection. Um, just anything you see, um, if you see people who are riding in that door zone, a lot of, a lot of cyclists don't know how dangerous that is. Um, and it's something that I'm, I found myself, uh, even now when I'm by myself, I call out those things. Just get used to it because it's not – now it's not just for me. It's also because, you know, a lot of people are arriving with their windows down so they can hear. Um, if I if there's a car to your right that's pulling out of a parking lot, call it. And if – you know, and just start – I just start saying bike, 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 you know, like so that, that it becomes um, kind of a routine – that you're looking for those things, and not only are you aware of them, but whoever is surrounding you is aware of them. Pedestrians on the sidewalk, if they know that, that you know, you're calling out these things, and that means that they know that this is like a can, can be a dangerous activity. Um, another thing, I have a couple friends who wear whistles whenever they're biking, and, and they just, you know, ride with, with their whistle in their mouth, and if, if they see a car on the right or, or a car back or, or a car turning in front of you, I mean, just... Blow the whistle, call it, be, you know, you have to communicate. Um, and one of the kind of exciting sort of anecdotal things about that is I can tell when I'm becoming a, a, a stronger cyclist because it's not so hard for me to sh shout those things. When I first started riding and getting into that, I was like, I don't even, I'm going so fast, I don't even have enough breath to call out, you know, like door, 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 door. But um, now it's like very easy um, and I can shout and ride fast at the same, same time, which is kind of exciting. Um, but I really can't stress that enough. Um, and that's something, again, that you get better at um, as you do group rides. But it's also something that now that I know how to do it and I know, and I do it on a regular basis, I can teach other people, other cyclists who maybe don't understand that you need to call a light um, or that instead of speeding up and slamming on your brakes at the red light, you can slow down a little bit, watch for that light to change and call it and call changing. Um, and I do think it's really, really important um, to do that. Molly, I just want to say, we alluded to can I just throw some language yeah. into this? Okay, it's really important for group riding, and this is what we do, okay, in, when we're riding in, in, in groups. Okay, there's car up, and it's called out, and car up 
for those who don't means there's a car approaching. So you're, the worst thing you can see on a bicycle is look out. What does that mean? What? Say, for what? Okay, so it's car up, car back means a car at the rear. Hold the line. Okay, there's another uh, one that we say when we're in a group. When you're passing, for example, a road where it merges or it changes from, let's say, two lanes to one, skinny up is another one. You know, if, if you've got a couple lanes, skinny up. Uh, it's just for safety. Another one, obviously, is door. And uh, another one that a lot of people don't think of that we talk about is great. There are these grates on the set. We call it great, and we automatically know that's on the right side of the cyclist. Avoid it because those can swallow heels in some parts of the city where they haven't retrofitted them. Hole is another one, and you take your left hand or your right hand, and you point to whether the hole is to the left or the right side of the tire line. And if you have enough of a lead, you guide around it, and others will follow. Just like geese will, the patterns. These are really important. Traffic, light up. Um, and again, when you're at a stop, you know, and you want to cooperate with others, you call out when it's about to change, looking at the opposing yellow, saying, it's changing, and then people will clip in or they begin to get on, and you approach when safe. So those are just some of the basics. I just wanted to say, Jeffrey and uh, Molly, those are just excellent advice. Uh, you know, when, when you're an urban cyclist, there are a whole new responsibilities and a whole new way to bicycle um, for your own safety. Uh, and you really have to learn those. Yeah. Uh, you've got to use that voice and yell out. You've got to use hand signals, as you've so noted. And make eye contact. You know, make eye contact with those motorists. Um, it's, you may have the same rights, but you're up against a 5,000-pound vehicle, and we're on a 20-pound, 30-pound bike, yeah. whatever it might be. Uh, so we have to know more and be more aware and more attentive than motorists are. And we have to know the language, and we have to know the rules uh, to get along safe and well in an urban environment. Um, yeah, so I think, uh, I think we're going to try one more song, if I can make it happen. Um, but if not, I think we're going to kind of close it. I would like to thank again um, Howard and Jeffrey and Dale and Stephen and, and Nick and Chicken Leather. Um, we'll play a song, and then we'll do your announcement. Yeah? Okay, I'm going to do the announcement. Uh, okay, so this is, this is, <laughs> the, whoa, too much going on. Um, Hello, this is Bike Talk. Okay, well, I'm going to put you on the air right now, so um, you want to introduce yourself? We've got somebody on the phone. Sure. All right. Who am I speaking with? Hi, this is Matt. Um, I've been listening to you guys for a little while on podcast, and, and I was uh, corresponding with you guys via email there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Matt, Matt wrote us in, and, and we're actually going to take your suggestion into consideration. He was saying that maybe we should talk about um, how to kind of retrofit a mountain bike into kind of a heavy-duty commuting bike, right? Yeah, you know, there's, there's, you know I think there's just a lot of people that have their, their bikes sitting around, and, you know, they don't get out and for whatever reason. And if 
if they could, you know, do that, it would be how easy it really is how to make it, you know, get rid of those knobby tires and put on a an urban tire and how much faster you go and, and more easily flow. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, like I said, kind of this, I guess, is a preview for, for next week's show. Um, we're going to kind of talk about the, I guess, the mechanical side and, and kind of what you can do to um, create a bike that will serve whatever purpose you need it to serve. Um, and that's something that actually at the, the Bicycle Kitchen and I'm sure at the, the Bike Oven and the Microwave and Valley Bikery and the Hub down in Long Beach, everyone's, you know, that's a lot of what we do in terms of, of the bike mechanic projects that we do. Yeah, I also wanted to chime in. I was listening to everybody. It's a really great show, the things that people were talking about and how, you know, being an ambassador to 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 the community as, as a cyclist or, you know, as a person. And, you know, I think on the other side of that, that you're also in your car, you know, the way you drive and the way you, you treat cyclists, if, you know, people are going to see that and kind of hopefully follow suit, you know. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, it's a two-sided thing there. You know, I, I do drive a car, too, and, and so... You know, I try to model on both sides how, you know, to, to share the road. And some people just don't want to share. Right. And, that, I mean, that's true. It's something that, I mean, a lot of us who ride bikes also are, are drivers. And so, you know, just setting a good example kind of, I guess, as a person, not just necessarily by your mode of transportation is really important. And the way things are going in, in the city of L.A., I hear all these great things. I, I commute through the city of Bell. <laughs> if everybody's been paying attention to the city of Bell, there, there's not much focus on... on cyclists these days pretty much what the city council is doing with, mm-hmm. with the money so you don't see any of those kind of those you know changes taking place like, like you see in LA so I just hope people would, would take advantage of, of the, the great things that are going on in LA because I've been riding my bike you know through LA since you know the 80s and the 90s and mm-hmm. it has changed completely so if you have a bike get out there and, and start riding around yeah definitely and um, Matt we'll be, in, we'll be in contact and we'll um We'll probably speak with you again next week if that sounds good. Sounds great. All right, take care. All right, you guys, how's it going? All right, so I'm going to make a quick announcement. Um, we have a uh, spoken art, uh, which is a gallery ride that starts today, um, Saturday, August 14th, around 7 p.m. at the Bike Oven, which is up uh, north on uh, Figueroa, 3706. Um, it's is featuring artwork by all sorts of great people in the bike community, and it's happening tonight. So if you're listening live or if you're um, listening to the podcast later this afternoon, make sure you stop on by. Um, I'd like to thank again all of our visitors. It was really cool to have um, so many people in the studio today, and I hope everyone enjoyed listening, and hopefully we will have these guys back um, in the near future. And um, Let's see. I think that's it. So, yeah, everyone have a good week. Ride on, and we'll see you next week.